We're going to cover some ground really quickly. If you missed the first two weeks, I'm going to save you some time. Whew. Are you ready? We answered a series of questions, okay? That's kind of how this series has been laid out. Some basic questions about what, what worship is. And so the first question was, what is worship? And so here in this context, we are describing worship as when we acknowledge or express the value of that which we encounter. And again, the importance there is on the encounter part. And we showed um, in the Old Testament um, and also in the New just how crucial this, this idea of worship comes from experiencing something. And again, it's not always in uh, sensations or feelings, but any time that we behold something, that's where worship takes place. And so from that, we had to answer the next question. So what kind of worship uh, does God desire? Simply put, it's worship by His Spirit. And that sounds really complicated. But simply, it's, it's worship by the grace of God. It's worship without strings attached. It's the ability to come knowing that the importance of your worship is that you are coming. It's not what you're bringing. Does that make sense? Yes, I know. We've spent like, what, two hours already trying to go into each one of these details. And I'm trying to give you guys some sound bites if you weren't here. And uh, hopefully you guys can catch up with us. The next question was, so where does worship take place? It takes place in three main arenas. The first one is it takes place internally. The first place we worship is inside. It's, it's in our emotions. It's in our thought life. It's in our decisions. The second place that we worship is in our relationships. If I truly value God, then I value what He values. And the ultimate value of God is people. It's you. And so if I, if I love God then it will be expressed in my love for you. So every relationship becomes an arena to worship God. And the third place is in our circumstances and the things that we can't control, things that happen to us, the highs and the lows of life. And then, of course, this last week we focused on, you know, how we worship. And so the, uh, the main thing there with why we worship is because, in, es- in essence, that's what we were made to do. It's our purpose. It's our passion. It just comes naturally to us. And it takes place because as I see him, as I see anything, it doesn't matter if it's God, if it's a person, if it's a thing, the moment I begin to take it in, I am designed to process it and to express its value to me. Whether it's in my conversation, in my actions, in my thoughts, I am designed to worship. And the way that I do that is in three ways. The first way that we worship is in ways that resonate. It's, it's the ways that we worship God that come naturally to us. If you're someone who just loves to, to dance or to sing or to sit in quiet, you know, just in silence alone, it doesn't matter. It's the first way we worship is the way that he designed for us to connect with him. And the Old Testament's a picture of offering. It's something that we do that doesn't take sacrifice. It comes easy to us. It's important for us to find this because it's this place of worship that creates that primary connection with God. The second way that we worship is through thanksgiving. It's whenever we respond to something he's doing in our life. And the last one is through sacrifice. This is when we worship in a way that's uncomfortable. It's when it hurts. Two weeks and five minutes. You're welcome. Those days are over. He can fix his own collar. Well, I don't know about you, but I was kind of messed up during worship 
It's just one of those times where you sensed his presence, I hope. And it's not always like that. So you're not abnormal if you don't feel it. We have to trust and we have to have faith that his presence is always with us. We just have to make the connection. So I told Devin that I had 10 minutes until I started getting into this. And it was like 1 o'clock in the morning. Oh, sorry, I think I have a message. <laughs> but he was gracious enough to say, let's just see what the Holy Spirit does. And I'll tell you, there is so much about worship that we could do a whole summer on worship, which would be awesome. And we still wouldn't get all there is to get and learn about worship, true worship. And... We need to learn about worship, but more than that, we need to encounter God through worship. And so let's start with the word, and let's go to Romans 12.1. That's the core scripture of my message this morning. Romans 12.1, I'm going to read it in the Good News Translation. Sometimes it's good to just shake it up a little, give yourself a little bit more of a different perspective, and say, like, New International Version is what I like, or New King James. Sometimes you just need to see it in a different way. So here we go. So then, my friends, because of God's great mercy to us, offer yourself as a living sacrifice to God, dedicated to his service and pleasing to him. This is the true worship that you should offer. That's good. I mean, I could go a lot of places with that. But what I want to first say is, as a believer, your first priority is to be a worshiper. God made us to worship him. It's our reasonable service is what a different translation says. And as we see in this scripture, worship is more than singing and praying and reading the word. Okay? That is worship. But it's so much more. And it isn't just something we do at church. Anything you do can be an act of worship when it glorifies and pleases God. Any type of activity, your work, if you do it unto the Lord, can be an act of worship. We tend to separate this, don't we? We compartmentalize our secular life and our spiritual life. We shouldn't. Because it all can be worship to God. It can all please and glorify him, not just when you come to church. Romans 12.1 says that offering yourself to God is what worship is all about. True worship is surrendering your, yourself, your life completely to him. This is what pleases him. And when you do that, when you worship him in that way, surrendering yourself, that's what we did today. If some of you yielded, you know, it's another word for surrender, you know. That's what you're doing. You're truly worshiping him. And when you worship that way, it has an effect on you. It has an effect in you and on your life. When you're a true worshiper, you just can't stay the same. I'm sorry. You can't. 
And I'm going to get more into it. But when you worship, you're acknowledging who he is in all his glory. You're acknowledging his nature, his character, his goodness, his faithfulness, his compassion, his love, his power. And when you do that, you can't stay the same. Amen? All right. So I got to keep going because I've got five pages. Oh, okay. Wait. <laughs> hey, listen. When he gets up, I know I'm done, okay? I don't know, but I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's just like great stuff. Okay, so in saying that, that worship can be anything that we do uh, unto the Lord that pleases and glorifies him, I want to bring it to praise and worship, okay? I want to talk about that. One of the ways we worship God is through song, like we did this morning. And by the way, not just when we sing is worship. The whole service is worship as we do what pleases him. Everything, serving in the nursery is worship. They didn't miss anything. All right? Talking about giving and actually giving is an act of worship. Where it comes from in your heart, are you doing it unto the Lord? Amen? Okay, another scripture, Psalm 100, 1 to 5. Let's turn there. Or uh, go to your smartphone, and hopefully it's smart enough to bring it up. Okay. Or I'm smart enough to get it to bring up. Okay. 100, 1 to 5. Okay. I'm going to read this again in the Message Bible, because I love it. All right. Here we go. On your feet now. Applaud God. Bring a gift of laughter. I love this part. Sing yourself into his presence. That is good, isn't it? Know this. God is God and God, God. All right? You can meditate on that later. He made us. We didn't make him. We're his people his well-tended sheep, enter with the password. We all have passwords, right? Thank you. That's how you enter his gates, with thanksgiving. Amen? Make yourself at home, talking praise. Thank him. Worship him. For God is sheer beauty, all generous in love, loyal, always and ever. I love this because it gives us a picture of how we should worship God, not only with our spirit, but also with your physical body. All right? Doesn't the Bible say to love God with your whole heart and with uh, your soul? Love, okay, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind, with all your being. And it all, that includes physical demonstrations. All right? So today, we stood up and we applauded God. We clapped. We, that, that pleased him. You know, we have an awesome worship team, but we weren't clapping for them. They helped lead us into the presence of God, and so we give glory to God by clapping. 
Seeing yourself into his presence. Worshiping God through song can bring you into an encounter with his presence. And what does the Bible say about being in his presence? There's joy. Fullness of joy in his presence. There's the gift of laughter. That's what that version means. When you come into his presence. Whenever you see the word presence in the Bible, it talks about encounter face-to-face with God. And when you do that, there's fullness of joy, the gift of laughter. Okay, so now we're going to get a little real here. Uh-oh. Can, can we be honest in church? Okay. But have there been times that you've come to church and you don't feel like getting to your feet? You don't feel like applauding God and clapping your hands and you're not feeling the joy. Come on now. Am I the only one? You need coffee. <laughs> Maybe you've come to church, you maybe feel a little discouraged or depressed. Maybe you've come with worry, lots on your mind. Maybe you've come even angry and full of doubts. And the last thing you feel like doing is applauding God. Come on now. Be honest with yourself. Listen, you know, when the Bible talks about worshiping in spirit and truth, Number one, yes, by his spirit, but it's also your spirit connecting with his spirit. And in truth, yes, based on what the God, what the Bible says about who he is, but it also means coming transparently and honestly. You can't hide anything from him anyway. Uncover it. I love, no, I don't love coming to church feeling that way, but I do sometimes. I just do. I'm human. But I discovered a secret. It's when I enter in, regardless of how I feel, pretty soon my feelings start changing because of who he is, how awesome he is. I begin to thank him. And sometimes we think, oh, my gosh, there's nothing to thank him about right now. Oh, my gosh, you're alive. Start there. All right, it's gone. I'll go more into that later. I want you to know that praise and worship does not feel good to your flesh. It does not please your flesh. It's not always easy. You know, sometimes I just fall to the floor. Other times I have to make myself (laughs) surrender. And before you know it, man, God starts ministering to me as I minister to him. Draw close to God. He'll draw close to you. Amen. See, I told you there's so much. I could, that's not even in my notes. Let's go. Okay. Um, and the thing about what I love the most, there's many things I love about worship, but it's so powerful because it can remove that oppression you came in with. Praise can lift off any oppression and break off any strongholds. Have it, have Am I talking to anybody? Anybody ever experienced that? All right. What is that noise? Okay, all right. Those sound like angels or, I don't know, rushing wind. 
Greeks in the room. Yeah, that too. Okay, worship is a tool that God uses to strengthen us and encourage us. Again, when you worship God, you can't help rejoicing in him because worship causes you to see his true nature. When you begin to see who he really is, you can't help but respond with joyful praise. When you encounter him, his nature rubs off on you. He's a, he's a happy God. He's not all about, you know, condemning you, you worm. You're just, you know, terrible people. No. He delights in us. He rejoices over us just the way we are. That's the crazy part. Now, does he want you to stay that way? No. But he loves you. doesn't love you any less. Praise and worship is a tool God uses to strengthen us. You know, I'm um, just going to give you a little personal thing here about me. Uh, when I went through a crisis of faith, and all of us at one time or another or one form or the other will go through that. Hopefully you will go through it. It will come out on the other end. But I had a crisis of faith in dealing with my son, Sean, our son, uh, who had seizures and autism starting at age one. And after a few years of believing God for his healing, I became disappointment, disappointed. And the Bible says, unrelenting disappointment leaves your heart sick. I had a toxic heart. Started off with disappointment, and then it quickly turned to anger. Then it turned into depression. And one of the very first things that I stopped doing was I stopped worshiping. I didn't stop going to church. I still went through the motions for a while. Anybody ever been there? Because you know you should, and yes, you should. But my heart wasn't in it, and I was just so depressed. And so um, I stopped worshiping. I had no joy. It robbed me of my strength and my passion to even live. I mean, that's the truth. I was too afraid to kill myself, so I just stopped living. So eventually that led me to stop going to church. And I began to distance myself from other believers, which ultimately led to me distancing myself from God. Anybody been there? I was there for a few years even though my husband was in leadership. I was like, oh, you can go because I'm angry. People say they don't get angry with God when they are disappointed, deeply disappointed. Yeah, you do. Just too afraid to admit it. I was not scared. Well, I was one time. <laughs> but he didn't strike me down. So, I believe the enemy knows the power of our praise and our worship. And that's why he stops us. He knows that praise and worship can break off 
any stronghold in our lives. He also knows that this can be used as a weapon against him. I don't have time to go there, but please read 2 Chronicles chapter 2 about the battle of Jehoshaphat against him and the uh, people of Judah. Their praise and worship brought victory over their enemies. They didn't even have to lift a sword. The enemy, their praise confused the enemy and they killed each other. That's powerful. Amen? If you find yourself in a place of not being able to worship God, do what David did. King David commanded his soul. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Even when you hurt, command your mind, will, and emotions, and even your body to bring glory to God. Because it is a weapon against the enemy, and it can break off strongholds in your life. I am the living testimony of that. Amen? And I know many of you are also. Some people say it's hypocritical to do something you don't feel like doing. Well, listen, if I didn't feel like worshiping God, I never probably would sometimes. I mean, you're all the same. We can't let dictate, uh, feelings dictate whether we worship God or not. Or not. We walk by faith. Faith pleases God. So when you obey God with the right actions, surely out of obedience with his grace, it begins to change your emotions. It also begins to change your perspective on what you're dealing with. It changes the way you see things and the way you see God in yourself. One of the um, secrets I eventually learned, took me a few years after my crisis of faith, was even though Sean's condition did not change overnight, I made the choice to bless the Lord. It's called a sacrifice of praise. Hebrews 13, 15, you don't have to turn to it, but it says, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Not only did I make myself worship with God's grace, I worshiped with more intensity. I even got a little undignified like King David did, but I kept my clothes on. Listen, I know. Hey, this is me. All right. So, by nature, I am not. I, I tried to be a cheerleader one year because I was, did all the sports thing and said, let's conquer something different. <laughs> I'm going to be a cheerleader. Yay. It wasn't me. I'm not a cheerleading type. It was fun, but that was one year done. So I'm not really a rah-rah, demonstrative, you know, I like to, I mean, unless anointing comes on, I'm preaching and I'm passionate, that, that's real. 
but really I'm, I'm just not a rah-rah person. So in church, it is not my nature to fall on my face, to jump up and down, which I do a little less of as I get older. But I was a crazy person before. <laughs> Jumping up and down. It's because I finally found out that even though my situation isn't changing, God is the same, and his promises are yes and amen, and I will praise him and worship him even if nothing changes because he's worthy, and he has done so much in my life. Amen? He turned things around where I wanted to live again. There uh, came I wasn't going to church, and a pastor was preaching one Sunday, and he asked me, you know, it's been a year or two, will you come to church? <laughs> and so I, I said, yes, I'd come to church. He was speaking out of Revelation. Some of you have heard this story. And it was about losing your first love. Back then, pastor preached a long time. I could not wait for him to be quiet. And, you know, it's not me. I would always talk to him after. I didn't answer his altar calls. That's my husband, you know. But I couldn't wait until he finished. And I ran to the altar. You never know when a word of deliverance is going to come your way. Sometimes people say, oh, I can go to church once a month. You never know when a word of deliverance is going to come to you when you gather corporately with your brothers and sisters and you're being strengthened and encouraged by worship and the word and prayer. You never know. So I ran to the altar, weeping and crying, and the people of that church in Pennsylvania, they came and they gathered around me, the women weeping with me, supporting me. I gained so much strength, and guess what? The oppression broke that day. And yes, amen, I give glory to God. And I made a decision that day, no matter if Sean ever manifested healing in this life, I was going to live out my purpose, and I was going to give glory and worship God. And that day, I changed. And the people saw it the next Sunday when they asked us to pray over 100 people, which I've never prayed for any of them, hardly. And... Um, the anointing was on my life, and when I went back with Devin and Pastor, uh, they noticed a change. A year later, they said, you're not the same person anymore. My life is not perfect, but I still want to praise God. I still want to worship him. I will not let the enemy rob that from me anymore. So I purpose in my heart, amen. Every Sunday I come in, you might think I'm having a fabulous day. If I get really crazy, I'm having a really bad day, okay? But I can't stop worshiping him because he's so worthy of my praise, amen? Okay, page five. Hey, you might have some time to say a few things. 
So this is what I want to say to you. I'm, I'm winding down. Don't let your pain or your circumstances stop you from worshiping God. The enemy wants you to run away from his presence. We are to run into his presence. Amen? Amen. I speak from experience. You know, really, when you think about it, he was the very first worship leader until he wanted to be like God and wanted to be worshiped. So he knows the power of our praise and worship. All right? So don't run from God. Run into his presence. Which brings me to my next point. True worship shifts your focus off of yourself and your problems and instead helps you to focus on God and his greatness. When you begin to magnify him, your problems begin to get smaller. The impossible begins to be possible. Because your faith is just growing in who he is. Listen, you can't make God any bigger. Okay? He's already big. Magnify him. But in your situation, we tend to magnify our problems. And we focus on that. And I'm telling you, that leads to more, you know it, leads to more depression, oppression. I mean, hopelessness? No. You magnify, make him big in your eyes and your problems. And then before you know it, you start getting better uh, clarity. You hear him more clear about it. You get a different perspective on it. I'm telling you, when you're worshiping, interact, God wants to interact with you. God wants to interact with you. He wants to interact with you. He wants to talk to you. Did you know that? Because finally he has you shut up. I mean, you're, you're quiet. You're just praising him, focused on him. You're not even coming because of what you're wanting to get. It's what you're wanting to give him. And he can't resist you. He wants to give back to you. Sometimes I'll get something that has nothing to do with anything I didn't think. And it's, hey, I'm focused on him. Maybe that's from him, and then I find out later it was. Worship, and it's just powerful. It's powerful. Okay, almost done. Last point. Worship transforms you. It changes you from the inside out. And uh, 2 Corinthians 3.18, great scripture. I am going to read this really quickly. Whenever, though, they turn to face God as Moses did, God removes the veil, and there they are, face to face. Remember, that's how you get in his presence. You're, you're meeting him face to face. They suddenly recognize that God is a living personal presence, not a piece of chiseled stone. And when God is personally present, a living spirit, that old constricting legislation is recognized as obsolete. Talking about the law. We're free of it, all of us. Nothing between us and God, no longer a veil. Our face is shining with the brightness of his face. And so we are transfigured or transformed into his image. We become more like Jesus. So when you encounter God through worship, you come face to face with who he is. You encounter all his glory. Remember when Moses says, show me your glory? 
He just wanted to see who God was. He wanted to see his goodness, his compassion, his loving kindness, his nature. So when you come face to face to God, who he really is, you will become more like him. You will be experiencing the change that you want in your life. God uses worship as one of the tools to do that. Amen? Okay, you got, you got some time now. You can have these. I don't, I don't need. Whoo! Well, it's summer. My caffeine's wearing off, and I was sitting over there. You know, I was paying attention. All of a sudden, I started to notice myself. I was like, oh, no. If I'm doing that on the stage, I don't know what's going on out there. Whoo! Do what? Oh, you're paying attention. That's good. It's good to know. We're glad you guys are here today. We know that you guys could be at the beach at Branson. Trying to think of a third B. At a bed and breakfast. Or bed. We're glad you guys are here. You know, um, if you didn't miss the first two weeks, I really think that uh, this series has just been special to me. I know we've had a lot of ground to cover. But it's really been uh, enlightening. And, you know, for me personally, just the, uh, the time I've had to put in studying and, you know, having to pray through it, it's been fun for me to kind of go through the entire thing on my own before I ever get up here. And it's a series that, honestly, we don't know yet how long this is going to be. I mean, I have no clue uh, if it's going to wrap up next week or in three more. I'm not sure, so hopefully you like it. If not, I might see you in August when school starts back. I don't know. I'm buying time so I can remember my notes. So with Pastor Julianne, I really wanted to get her up here because the one phrase she said spoke to me a lot last night when she shared her notes. She said, you know, she didn't stop going to church first. She first stopped worshiping. And that was the first domino to fall. And the moment that in her heart she began to withhold herself from God, the moment she began to hide herself from God, that was the domino that began to affect everything else in her life. And she didn't spend much time talking about where she ended up with the dominoes. We were there. (laughs) When she shares the story, it's not quite as short, okay? Because, you know, the whole time that we were there watching, you know, her hurt and her go through this pain and watching her begin to hide herself. But in that, she wasn't just losing her relationship with God. You saw that she was losing a part of herself in this. The more that she was separated from him because she separated herself, the more that she was losing just this important part of who she was. And to me, the most amazing part of it that just kind of floors me was uh, the service that she went to is after two years, uh, I think that I had stayed home, I think, that Sunday. Because, you know, she wasn't the only one, you know, hiding herself you know, from God. But she left. It was the standard day, you know. I mean, they had told me she was going to church, and I was like, you're going to church? It's been like two years. Okay, sure. And she walks in, and like her and Pastor Larry just all smiles, and they're joking and hugging, and I'm just like, what in the world happened at church today? I haven't heard you guys laugh in two years, you know. I mean, 
to me, the part that floors me to this day is how fast the transformation was. Just like that. And we all know that Pastor Larry is a talented preacher and teacher, but it wasn't the message, okay? It was the fact that there was a choice that she made to stop hiding herself from God. She chose to enter into His presence again. And it transformed her instantly. And uh, she references verse, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 3. Let's go ahead and go there. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 17 through 18. Now the Lord is spirit, and with the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. The word contemplate there has been plugged into the new uh, NIV. The old ones just say, we all with, uh, reflect His glory, okay? The Greek word there means to behold, okay, to take in. So in essence, imagine standing next to, you know, a painting, okay, or a sunrise or a sunset, and you're just, you're taking it in. The sights, the sounds, the smells, you are allowing it to just be absorbed, okay, into your senses. That's the meaning of the word here. And so what takes place is when we choose to, to approach Him, okay, when we choose to enter into this relationship with Jesus, there's something that takes place in us. As we choose to draw near to Him, we take Him in. And as we take Him in, it changes us. Look here, it says, And we who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into His image. See, what happened to her that Sunday, it wasn't that this sermon was so powerful that it just shook off Two years of pain. Man, that was exactly what I needed to hear. That sermon changed my life. It was that she stepped into the presence of the Lord. She opened up the parts of herself that she had been hiding and took Him in. And simply put, there are places in our lives where we have closed the door to the Lord. There are places that we have hidden away from Him. And in every place in our lives that we begin to separate from Him, those are the places that we begin to experience death and pain and hurt and loss. And what takes place in our lives is when we choose, again, simply put, it's almost like turning yourself you know, to see the sun. Imagine a sunset and you just have your back turned like this, you know, just turning and choosing to take him in. That's when the change takes place. The Sunday... The question we're answering is this, what happens when we worship? And there are three things that take place whenever you worship. If you're taking notes, I'll jump through this quickly. Here's the first thing that takes place. Whenever we worship, we elevate what we worship. Did you get that? We elevate whatever it is that we worship. Our perspective and outlook in every situation is shaped by the thing we think on, focus on and rely on. Uh, Numbers 13 is the, the, the section of Scripture where they're about to go into the promised land, okay? They've been waiting to go check this place out for an entire generation. Uh, 
the generation of Moses has now just died off, okay? They were all told that they wouldn't be able to enter into the promised land. So they've been hanging out in the desert for many years. Now it's time to take the land. Let's go check the place out. So they send in spies to go scope it out. And what takes place is when they come back, they've been in the promised land for 40 days, okay? They leave praising God. Thank God for the promised land, what he's done for us. He's so great. When they come back, the report they bring is, yeah, it's great, but... It's not going to happen, guys. There's giants. There's giants, and we are like grasshoppers. Forty days of watching and studying these people, they instantly begin to elevate. It's almost as if the more that they begin to focus on anything but the Lord, they begin to, to, to maximize the thing that they are taking in, what they're beholding. And you see these men come back from 40 days away from the tent of meeting, 40 days away from the Lord. They come back and all they can think about, their perspective is completely skewed by what they've been focusing, thinking on, processing, chewing on, taking in. Does that make sense to you at all? Okay. What happens is when you come in on a Sunday and you don't want to worship, it's because you've been worshiping something else. Amen. That's good. When you come in and you don't want to be here, it's because you've been worshiping something else. When you come in here, something else has your heart, something else has your mind, something else has your attention. It can be a problem, it can be a situation, it can be work, it, it can be good or bad. It can be family, it can be friends, it can be anything but the Lord. When we find ourselves uncomfortable, when we find ourselves un, just not even wanting to be around Him, it's because something else has had our attention, has had our heart, has had our affection. Something else is bigger in our life. Does that make sense? Trust me, I would spend a half an hour here, but I've got five minutes, so I hope it sinks in, okay? We elevate whatever we worship. That's why this series is called this, okay? Whatever you worship, you instantly begin to elevate in your life. It gets bigger, okay? It's that simple. And there are, there are examples of this all throughout Scripture. But the more that we begin to take in God, the bigger he becomes. Okay? And obviously, one of the men who stands up to correct these spies, because he was also in the land for 40 days, Joshua, he was one of the men who had actually been spending days and days and days in the tent of meeting. He was the one who was allowed to follow Moses into the tent of the meeting of the presence of the Lord. He was one of the few people who was able to sit around God for weeks on end. And when he came back from that same place, seeing the same things, he was not shaken. His God was still bigger than everything else because his worship had been fixated on the Lord. Make sense? Man, guys, rocking today, man. It's so loud. You guys could just be quiet. I could teach a little bit. Here's the second thing that happens, okay? There we go. I like that. All right. When you worship... First thing that takes place, you elevate what you worship. Here's the second thing that takes place. We emulate what we worship, okay? Simply put, you are designed to become like what you worship. It's the highest level of honor that we have received from God is to be like Him, okay? And in our worship of the Lord, even we see it in Corinthians, we are designed to be around Him, 
to take him in and to allow it to make us like him. Okay? And again, we even see this in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, but it's continued in the New. Um, you see this in Exodus, that the context they use in Corinthians uh, to talk about this having the unveiled faces, it's a reference to Moses and how when Moses was with the presence of the Lord, when he came down with the tablets of the law, when he came down, he had been up there for days. And when he returned, his literal skin was glowing so much that it frightened everyone who saw him. And again, it seems dramatic, but it's just another picture of what takes place. We are designed and created, okay, to become like what we worship. And so it sounds great and spiritual, okay, you know, when you're talking about worshiping the Lord and worshiping Jesus. But what happens when we worship other things? I'm not sure if you've ever been around someone who is consumed with fear. Have you ever been around someone like that? They're always just, con- they are so sure that they are sick and going to die, that they are some of the sickest people. I mean, come on, I don't want to call people out, okay? But there are some people, okay? there are some people that have filled their minds and their time and their, their affection so much with money because they believe that is so important that everything in their entire life is about, they begin to center their, their every moment around this pursuit of this thing. Who here... Goodness gracious, I'm trying to think about all the different ages we've got. Okay, whenever I was in school, rap was a big deal, okay? Some of you guys, rap didn't exist when you were in school. Okay, Um, but it was a big deal. And so there's a lot of white kids walking around with their pants sagging, you know. know, Come on, you've seen it, right? Still today. Well... They're behind, okay? It should be something else, you know, German techno or something. I don't know. Anyways, you would see these kids, you know, it's like the first day at the white kid, you know, he heard rap. Oh, my goodness, there's a new world out there, okay? And so he would begin to find out all the coolest rap albums, and all of a sudden, slowly but surely, you'd see the way he talk change, the clothes change, and then the walk change. <laughs> Come on. Okay. Very simple, okay? But you see, in every area of life, we begin to emulate what we worship, okay? Uh, here's the third thing that takes place. Here's the last one we're going to get to, okay? We elevate, we emulate, and then finally, we begin to revolve around what we worship, okay? Meaning, this thing that we worship begins to dictate our decisions, okay? It begins to affect our choices, and it begins to become the center of our life. Matthew 6, 24. You have to understand that this passage is in the context, again, of him teaching on the kingdom of God. Jesus seems to always be teaching on what the kingdom is, okay? This invisible thing they haven't seen yet, he's always explained to them how it's different from what they've known. And so he's been talking about prayer, he's been talking about fasting, and now he's talking about what it means to serve the Lord and to make him the number one priority in your life. And he says this, he says, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And the first time I saw that passage, I just, I thought, why is he even addressing money? It seems like such a small thing compared to God. The truth is, money is what? Small compared to God, right? I mean, it is, yes. Money is small compared to God. If I really believe he's... God, then surely, money's not much. 
it's not about how, how important or how powerful money actually is. It's how important we make it when we worship it. And something as lifeless, as simple and trivial as money, when we begin to worship it, it begins to take the throne of our lives. Money begins to, to, to control, to dictate what we do and when we do it and how we do it. Understand that the terminology that he uses over and over again about the relationship with him when it comes to our hearts is very clear. In reference to our hearts, he always talks about being the Lord. Okay, the Lord, the king, if you would. In other references, we're friends. You know, he's, he's our protector, our provider. But when he talks about our hearts, he says, I, I am to be your Lord. There's only, there can be only one object of our worship. There is no room for two. Whatever you worship will take the throne of your life. It will dictate your choices. It will influence your, your, your decisions. And it will push God out of the way. It can be good or bad things. There's a lot of pastors I know, including myself, who have a hard time not allowing the church that they lead to become the Lord of their lives. I know a lot of phenomenal parents who fail because they allow their children to become the ultimate object of their affection. Their children are what dictates their choices. Their children are what dictates their use of their resources and their time. And their children are what moves God from the throne of their hearts. It's simple, okay? There's only one place. There can be only one thing in our lives that we worship ultimately. And it has to be the Lord. And if it's not, it begins to wreak havoc in every area of our lives. When we worship, it affects us because we elevate what we worship, we emulate what we worship, and ultimately, we begin to revolve around worship. Amen? All right.